welcome to Working Title, a podcast where two writer friends stumble through books we love looking for writing secrets. Like our podcast, we are a work in progress. I am Dana, and today I'm trying to remember how to start a new writing project because it has been a minute and I'm worried I forgot. Uh, but it's also such an exciting time. It's super exciting and also... Yeah. Maybe I have forgotten everything. (laughs) Uh, The cycle, the cycle. Uh, I'm Leah, and I'm just trying to exist this week. I'm not currently disassociating. I consider that a win. Yeah. That's the level that we're at. (laughs) You got to take that sometimes. Sometimes that's its own victory. Yeah, like most of my writing lately, the last few days has been in the phone notes app. So that's Ugh. where we're at. So much good stuff is born in the phone notes app. Let's let's not mince words there. That's very true. Also, in some ways, because you know how you write something down and you think for sure that you'll understand what it means later. You're like, I just need oh, the keywords. Yeah. I just really need the keywords. And then you have no idea yeah. But in some ways, that's also really great for idea generation. Like, I don't know what I meant then, but now here's what I'm thinking. I'm going to yep. bring together uh, glass and antlers and sparkles. Yep. <laughs> that's how you end up with notes that are like a ventilation system for ball gowns. And you're like, what the heck was I thinking? <laughs> right. Who's doing this? I'm convinced that this is like, this is Jeff Vandermeer's process. You just... <laughs> It just looks at his phone notes app from three years ago. It's like, what if I combine this and we have some sort of weird alien robot squid and a flying bear? That sounds good. Hey, Leah, I think we have a new writing exercise. <laughs> we do. Yes. Oh, God. That sounds so much fun, actually. All right. After this, maybe. But first, plot twist. This week, we are discussing trickster gods. So to prepare, we've been reading about a few standout tricksters, including Kyprioth in Tamara Pierce's Trickster Duology, and Coyote in Rebecca Roanhorse's Trail of Lightning. So we'll be talking about those books a lot, but also pulling from other stories that we've read, other stories that we've enjoyed in the past. And the goal here is not to deep dive into those specific books exactly, but to really dig into the narrative concept of trickster gods across all kinds of stories. So let's talk tricksters. <laughs> there are a lot of places that we could start here. Uh, what defines a trickster god in fiction as opposed to in myth? Uh, what makes them compelling? What can we learn from them as writers? But first, I want to start with the question that plagued me through reading all of the books that I did read to prepare for this, which is can trickster gods always get it? Like, is that a definitional requirement <laughs> that to be a trickster god, you must be able to get it? Because it was, I felt like the most consistent theme. Yeah, on one hand, unequivocally, yes. <laughs> um, on the other hand, something that I've seen happen a lot in these trickster narratives is they're shapeshifters. So it's like they have at least one form that's kind of hot. And if they don't, for whatever reason, or if that doesn't come up, they're also often very charming and kind of earnest in a way at times. Um, they mix they mix 
uh, the earnestness and playfulness and cunning all together in a, in a kind of heady cocktail that always draws me in. I Yeah, I feel like even in the trickster duology and in Trail of Lightning, we mostly see the trickster gods, and they're very specifically described as not being particularly handsome, as being like older gentlemen, uh, as like, oh, it's so strange. He he always he still has his hair silver, even though he could have it look like anything. Or, or in same thing with uh, Anansi Boys uh, by Neil Gaiman, when we see uh, you know the Anansi, he's frequently described as looking ridiculous and this like yeah. very silly looking older man but it is very clear that all of these all of these trickster gods can and do get it like they're just they're yeah they're very charming and often even when i feel like writers are taking time and specifically to be like hey this is not loki in the marvel movies right mm-hmm. like we didn't give you a pretty boy trickster but you're into it like <laughs> Like, they have other qualities. Mm-hmm. That's that's the kind of key. Um, and there, there's just, uh, there's something so fun about uh, their banter. I think banter is often an, an important element in romance, which is a completely separate thing. Although, honestly, I would read a book about a romance between a trickster god and a, a mortal that isn't... Um, it doesn't end badly, uh, shall we say. <laughs> uh, although I think that would be challenging to write in some ways. But tricksters are so good at banter, and I, I, I live for that. Uh, so, I totally agree. I think that that's actually, that is a huge part of, I think, what makes a trickster god interesting and also is like a relevant definitional thing, right? Like there is... They have super magical god powers, right? Mm-hmm. Shape-shifting and all of that. But so much of the power that they end up using is talking. Yeah. I think that was something that really stood out to me is the emphasis on soft power with tricksters. Like Gods are powerful. Tricksters do it through other means. Uh, so many of the other gods in... Um, I think in the Trickster's duology, although they don't really show up, uh, but also in Trail of Lightning, they're very direct in a way. They're very serious, very solemn. And uh, the Tricksters aren't like that. They're like, we're not going to strike you down with lightning. I'm just, you know, I'm going to just put you in a position that there's no way out of. Like, you know, and I'm going to talk you through it. You're going to think that there might be a chance that you could win. And sometimes you could, but only if I win too. So that's, kind of how they do things which makes them very delightful yeah and also then like really frustrating when they i feel like so often part of this game right and it's a game that trickster gods typically like they play with the characters other characters that are in the book particularly other mortal characters but Mm -hmm. they also play a lot of tricks on other gods too but i feel like there's also a trick that gets played on the reader where they're introduced as a trickster you know that they're here out of their own particular interests and maybe we know what those are and maybe we don't but somehow when then they do something particularly cruel and brutal or reveal their trap there is this absolute betrayal even as you're like of course they did of course (laughs) coyote's been behind it all along of course kyprioth tried to set up a storm that murdered children because he doesn't care he's just out for doing his own thing but somehow they they make me feel betrayed even as it's like 
you knew all along you were dealing with a trickster. Like, we always knew. Yeah. But somehow I'm still surprised Pikachu whenever it happens. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think in some ways I found, uh, I think in some ways Kiprioth's betrayal is more jarring than Coyote's. Partly because of the interaction between the main characters um, and the trickster god. Like prior to this, Ali Ali is very similar to Kiprioth. She's she is kind of a trickster in a human form. So they kind of get along. They have very light conversations. She's very playful. I think that's part of why she was also very surprised by by that it, it's like well we're still even when we're working together because of course there's also a difference um in working together versus cross purposes even though we're still working together and realistically the death of this child benefits this re revolution that we're trying to pull off this is still a horrifying thing that you've done and now and now i have to suddenly i'm jarred into remembering the fact that i am communicating with a god that has very different morals than I do, and that is ultimately thinking about themselves. Whereas with Coyote, I think there's almost, there's always that tension. Maggie is always very distrustful, and it's, there's, it's a bit more antagonistic even at the beginning because Coyote is so frequently poking at Maggie's trauma and her wounds to get her to do what he wants. Um, so there's there's already kind of that, like a, a lesser layer of trust. You know, the thing about tra Trail of Lightning that's different, in, for me at least, um, from the trickster duology, which I know that's not what it's called, but that's what I call it in my head. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> is, is that the whole time I was reading it, I felt... I felt kind of scared for Maggie. I felt uncomfortable. It was always like, oh, God, it's like she's caught in a trap she can't get out of. Mm -hmm. uh, and even at the end, when it when there's this ultimate reveal where he's like, yeah, I didn't just trick you on the layer that you thought I did. I've tricked you even further back. You were You were picked out from the very beginning. And yet she still does what he wants ultimately. I mean, she kills him. But she also still does what he wants. So, like, in a sense, he's still kind of one. It's so much darker. Yeah. Yeah. And if you've read Storm of Locusts, I mean, well, you sort of already knew. You kill a god, it, it doesn't take. <laughs> yeah. Definitely not. Um, no, I really love what you were saying, though, too, about this. Uh, yeah, there absolutely is this difference, I think, between these two uh, takes on a trickster god as far as... Allie is much, she forgets who Kyprioth or Kiprioth is uh, frequently because they get along and they're, they're kind of working on the same project uh, in a way that Maggie doesn't. But I think as a writer, one of the things that definitely jumped out at me rereading some of these books and, and reading some new ones was it reminded me so much of the like, weird dual trick you have to play on a reader for trying to write like a heist mm -hmm. right because when you're writing a heist and you're like okay we're assembling a team and they're a team of badasses and this is how they're gonna pull one over on whoever right they're 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 gonna do this fancy trick and you need to have some element of the trick that the reader can see 
so that they can be like, aha, I see. This is a very clever heist. I see what you're trying to do. And so they can be invested in like, oh no, if they don't believe that you're here to check the alarms, this whole thing goes up in smoke. You know, you need the reader to be invested in that tension. But the best heist movies are the ones that then have the thing that you didn't see coming, that you didn't see all the planning behind it. It just happened. And now you're just as surprised as the people that they have pulled one over on. Yeah. And I feel like I keep seeing that in these trickster stories too. Like you, we know that they're, for, for all of these books, we know pretty much right away, this is a trickster god. Yep. You know who you're dealing with. You know what they're about. And we see them talking about the tricks they plan to pull. It's not so much of a surprise. Kyprioth tells Allie, I'm trying to pull a trick. Help me out with this and I'll give you your freedom. Uh, Coyote tells Maggie, he in fact is like, please go do this particular task for me. I'm working on a trick. He doesn't tell her what he's really about. That turns out to be part of a bigger trick. But there is so much where you can see the trickster at work. You see them mm -hmm. pulling one over on the characters. And then there is also still a moment where the rug's pulled out from under you. And I feel like that is, I mean, an intimidating challenge to tackle as a writer. Yeah. Like, I think about that. And, uh, but, but so effective when you can do it, right? Because you can show, you can prove to your reader early, this is a trickster. They are very clever and charming and manipulative. And they, they, they're in charge of this whole thing. And you know that because you see them working. But also you didn't see them working because mm -hmm. they're that good. Yeah, absolutely. I was also thinking about this. And um, something that came to mind for me as a writer as well was that when you go into a book, um, I guess as a reader, you're automatically assuming that any book with a trickster god is going to have a plot twist. So what that means is as a writer, you have to you have to put in the kind of conventional plot twist to the one the reader is expecting, and then you have to throw in a few more somehow. Yep. You have to layer the plot twists more because a plot twist is going to inherently be part of the story. It has to be. How fitting that this is our first plot twist episode. <laughs> I love it. We didn't even think about it on I this know. level, but it's so thematic. Yeah, it absolutely is. It absolutely is. Um, something else that I was kind of thinking about is how often when you look up trickster god definitions something that often comes up is that tricksters i mean first tricksters are often symbols of rebellion symbols of major change which for, as a writer makes me think again about how good they are as catalysts they are great catalysts great at the beginning of a story and through it, um, and also what do they symbolize uh, to the people in the story and in general? Like what it, what do you expect to happen? Um, but there are a few a few of these other books that we that you kind of mentioned, like Anansi Boys, where uh, Anansi is is the catalyst, and then he's like, "Cool, I'm out for the rest of the story." And you can you have what what is so interesting to me about Anansi Boys is that it's like, what if we took what is essentially a trickster godling, the son of a god who is a trickster, and we just stripped all the trickster part out of him? What would happen? And so now you have this kind of conflict between the trickster part of this godling and the 
uh, other part of a godling that has another form of magic, which I thought was really fun. Yeah, no, that was definitely... Soon, soon as I figured out that that's what was going on, it was super interesting. Before that, I was just like, oh, great. Wouldn't it suck if uh, your sibling, in addition to being cooler than you in all the normal ways, also was like, oh, they got all the god stuff. Yeah. But then it became really, really interesting and cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think, I think there's... I think when you think of a trickster god story, you're often thinking about... The gods as a way, as sort of a, a side character that continues to motivate and nudge the character throughout the story. They're always a side character, but Anansi Boys, I think, in some ways breaks that. I mean, yes, Anansi is kind of a, as a peripheral character, mm -hmm. but even more so than some of these other books. He's, he's barely even a character in the story. So... But is still, I think you're right, like, is absolutely the catalyst. None of that story happens without him. And the same is true for the others, right? Ali would not even have made it to the Copper Isles, except that Kiprioth was like, I'm going to send some pirates to pick you up. And we wouldn't, Maggie would not be where she is if Coyote didn't orchestrate her childhood trauma in order to awaken her clan powers and make her into this warrior that he could then try and use to take out his enemy like we wouldn't we wouldn't have maggie in the same way as a character without coyote even though like he really only appears in a couple of scenes mm -hmm. even when like a trickster god is peripheral i think you're right like they can be this tremendous opportunity for change which is a great a really great catalyst but i think it also what am I what am I trying to say? It is a challenge you have to rise to. Mm -hmm. Because if you have a trickster god who's content to just like sit in the background and make funny banter and not actually engage and create change, then I think you could you you're sort of you're not rising to that challenge of here is a trickster god, what are they going to get up to? Yeah, which is an interesting thing to try and tackle I think as a writer. Yeah, in some ways I would wonder if like, would they still definitionally, definitionally be considered a trickster god? And I'm not sure they would. I think, I think that twist in a, a character's life and in the world is so necessary for for any sort of trickster god character. Yeah, it's impossible to write one without it. Actually, yeah. I have one that I wonder. Actually, I think there are a couple that might kind of straddle the line where I wonder if they would count or not. One of them is um, the monster from A Monster Calls. Mm -hmm. I, have you read it? No, but I've I've heard a lot about it, and I know I know the story. Okay, so part of what is so interesting to me about the monster in A Monster Calls, and some people say he's like the Green Man. Um, is that the whole story is the monster kind of infuriating the boy by saying, I'm going to tell you a story. And the boy is like, got it. I know the moral of the story. And the monster's like, no, you don't. Here's what I was actually trying to do. And the kid is like, what the heck is going on? And you know, a lot of the stories are really like, things don't go how you want. Uh, there aren't, There isn't an easy good or bad. 
And all of this is really in service to helping the boy get to a point where he can acknowledge some of the uglier parts of grief. That's really kind of all what it leads up to. So again, what, what you see is this, this character who's kind of maybe not a god, so in that way, not quite a trickster god, but who is this kind of immortal fairy-like being, uh, or maybe not even fairy-like, immortal monster being, you know what I mean, a cryptid, yeah. um, uh, is, is coming at a problem sideways tricksters can never just come out and say all right like you know all right kid uh it's okay to feel angry that your mom is dying and also it's okay if you want it to stop like if you don't want to keep watching your mom suffer that is a normal feeling it doesn't mean that you're a bad person and you want your mom to die instead he's like you know what i'll do i will tell this child three stories that are very confusing i will because the other thing that he does is there's one story where the monster's like, basically, let's feel anger, let's wreck things. And then guess who's gone when uh, the grandmother comes home and finds her room absolutely trashed? The monster. And it's now the boy who has to take on that responsibility. So he, he also kind of leaves him in the lurch a couple of times. Mm-hmm. So like, would we consider him a trickster god or some sort of magical trickster or does it not quite fit the definition? I mean, I think I think there's certainly overlap. There's a Venn diagram we could for sure draw, right? Mm-hmm. Um, my understanding of the monster and a monster calls is that he probably couldn't get it. So again, like, could be a slightly <laughs> different category. Um, but I think there is this very consistent theme across a lot of trickster gods about stories, which I think is really interesting because... I don't think there's an initial intuitive connection between tricks and stories. Like there's some powers that you that make sense across tricksters, right? Most trickster gods can shapeshift. Mm-hmm. They have these different powers that allow them to manipulate people. But a lot of them also have this very specific connection to stories, to telling stories. And I think importantly, and maybe actually, maybe this does make more intuitive sense, tricksters are catalysts. They're catalysts for change. And stories are, they need change. They need a catalyst or you just don't have a story. But there is this, yes, approaching things sideways and looking at them through stories. And I think that's part of the moral gray definitional part of a trickster too. Yeah. So often when we have portrayals of gods, they're representations of very flat, understandings of right and wrong of good and evil you have this god and they are good and that is to have something that is unobjectionably good in a story i don't know i i find that intimidating and not in like a fun writer challenge way i find that intimidating Mm. in i don't know if that exists kind of way and i don't know how to portray something in in writing that i that i don't totally believe in yeah and i think tricksters add such an interesting complication to that especially to a world where you do have a system of, you know, good and evil that are very clear and very plain. I think a trickster can introduce and tell stories that talk about the reality where most of us live, which is that nothing is that clear. I think of the stories that we're talking about, probably the least explicitly morally gray is in the trickster duology mm-hmm. where again we still have we have these moments where the trickster god does something awful but 
he's throwing a revolution. You want to talk about things that are also morally gray, like getting freedom is a messy process. Trying to deal with people who are complicit in oppression is a complex, messy, terrible, important thing to talk about. I mean, and again, it's a young adult novel and it is written by a white woman. Yeah. There, there's certainly some areas where reading it now, I'm like, yep. yeah, this could have used, this could have used a little bit more nuance. And it's a little bit of a disappointment to me because I think tricksters are a perfect opportunity for that nuance. Yeah. Like we see in Trail of Lightning where Coyote's motives here are to kill this one entity who we see is a terrible, terrible being. Mm -hmm. Not opposed to the fact that he gets killed at the end of that book. I'm like, you know what? That's, that's, that's a good thing. But Coyote also, yeah, gave Maggie her trauma. Yeah. Did this horrible, awful thing and created a character in Maggie who's also a wonderful expression of moral grayness, of somebody who you feel is good, is deeply good, but also is constantly troubled with, I do a lot of violence and I don't know that that is a good thing. Mm -hmm. Like, that's a really hard thing to struggle with and it's really interesting to see how that character grapples with it. And I think that that's, that's another thing that's so compelling about trickster gods as a reader and something that also makes them a really interesting tool as a writer is that if you want to talk about moral grayness, if you want to talk about an issue and not just say this is good and this is bad, you just put a trickster right in there oh, who's yeah. going to make a point of saying, hey, I know you think that that's good. Here's the bad side of it. Oh, you think that's bad? Let me show you the good side of it. Mm -hmm. Which can be can turn a little bit into, you know, devil's advocate stuff, which I'm not a big fan of. But if it's deployed in, in, in like, a, a really thoughtful way, it can be, like, a really interesting way to just deepen whatever conversation you're trying to have about the world. Yeah, absolutely. I also think that in thinking about this conversation about the world, something else that tricksters are very good at is showing you new parts of other characters new aspects of a world and even of other gods, right? Like mm -hmm. Kiprioth, what a moment that is really glossed over. There are several moments that are kind of glossed over in the book that I'm like, whoa, 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 hold on a sec. And the characters are like, anyway, la, 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 uh, <laughs> which is, you know, I guess it's YA, so I should give it, you know, it shouldn't be too critical, but like you said, there are definitely some, I guess, uh, Reading it with older eyes, there were some moments where I was like, I don't know about that. Um, but of course, something that's that's revealed is the patron god of Ali's mother is one of the gods that is involved in impressing, oppressing this other country. Yeah. And Ali's just like, huh. So you, you're seeing like these other gods that are often presented again in these very, can be presented in stories and in fiction, not necessarily in myth but in fiction, in a very flat way, you're seeing this new element to them. And it's the same with Nizgani because he's the monster slayer, right? He's he's partly here to save humanity, and but of course he, he's, just, he's just as thoughtless as some of the other gods. He views humans in a kind of a similar, almost like a condescending, very patronizing way. And the way he treated Maggie was awful. He, he also made Maggie think that she was a monster. And he abandoned her. So it's like, well, yes, he does slay all these monsters, but also 
would I want to be friends with this guy? No. Do I think he's actually morally good? No, it kind of seems like he does it for his own self-aggrandizement. So, yeah, definitely, like you said, tricksters are there to show you the other sides of things, and I think a very effective way when it's done well. Yeah, and and yeah, it's 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 a tremendous opportunity for showing that uh, on so many on so many levels on so many layers. Um, there's another thing that I wanted to talk about that I was thinking about when you were discussing how tricksters come at all these problems sideways. Mm-hmm. Another thing that we haven't, I think, explicitly addressed, and I'm curious if you have any counterexamples to this. All of the trickster gods we're talking about right now are fairly explicitly men, even as they shapeshift. And I think it's interesting to note that I, there's there's a lot of questions I have here. First, I'm curious if trickster gods, we think, can be other genders. I mean, they can be. And even like canonically, I know in like comic book lore, right? Loki, probably the most popular famous trickster god right now, is actually gender fluid. And that's an important thing because, well, also, can you imagine if you could shapeshift? It's like the easiest transition path possible. It sounds delightful. And I think we should do that more with trickster gods. But typically, even then in like in in, in most presentations, Loki is presented as male. Um, and we've, we've sort of joked, but all, they're often like, particularly portrayed as very heterosexual and very actively so. Yeah. But I think also in an interesting way, because so often tricksters, by definition, approach problems sideways. They don't approach them with might, with force, with these kinds of energies that we typically consider like masculine energies, right? And again, this is all this is all about like the biases and the 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 stereotypes that that we approach gender with and they're all frankly nonsense but we think about like what's the the manly way to approach a problem the macho way is to address it head on a lot of times with like physical force and tricksters i feel like so often are a really interesting display of like an alternative masculinity you know they're very distinctly masculine in so many cases uh and often in a way i think problematically attached to Mm. heterosexuality but are also approach all these problems in a very different way i don't know i feel like that's just a lot of mush that's been in my brain that i've just shared but i think there's there's a lot of interesting questions that 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 is spawned for me and i'm curious what your thoughts are on it because i feel like i'm just staring at a big tangled mess of yarn going this is interesting and there's some gender (laughs) over here and there's some stereotypes and i don't know what to do with it Right. Yeah. Yeah. You would think that given the whole idea of tricksters being very fluid and versatile and kind of in this in-between, you would have more diversity Yeah. in these stories. And yet, you're right. When I think about it, the only thing that comes to mind off the top of my head from the books that we've read is the graveyard hag Mm -hmm. who shows up for like five seconds, plays a trick and is gone and of course she's a like a minor trickster god she's not the trickster god yeah, yeah. although of course kiprioth could be kind of uh, uh lying about that like no i am the best um that's really interesting uh i i think that sometimes there are 
like female deities or even characters that have some of those trickster qualities, but so often they're relegated to like the role of a seductress. Yeah. And like uh, they have like the darker sides, like they're more about chaos and discord and oftentimes they're antagonistic. They're not necessarily helpful. And I honestly, I can't think of a single, like when, when in the common consciousness, when we think about it, not a lot of people would think about, like, Loki is gender fluid, but there are so many people who don't, when they think of Loki, they think of a he. They don't think of a a non-binary person, or, you know, so, which I think it's also kind of a flaw in our own society. Like, how are we as a society receiving, in the case of mythical um, figures, how are we receiving those mythical figures? How are we changing the myths mm-hmm. to fit our current society? <laughs> um, but yeah, even in fiction, I think even in like a Dandelion Dynasty, there's a trickster god that shows up very briefly. And I think that trickster god is also presented as male. And Sia in the Inheritance Trilogy, which I think is another character that kind of straddles the line in, in my mind, um, N.K. Jemisin defines Sia as a trickster god. Sia is, for the most part, a boy. Right. And occasionally a man. So, oof. Uh, that makes me kind of sad. Yeah. <laughs> so, like... I don't, I don't, I mean, I think it's interesting I think it's definitely interesting, but I agree. There is there is a degree where maybe this is, I mean, we were talking about soft power. And I think yeah. typically when you, again, referring to all of these, these expectations we have around gender, which are, to be clear, nonsense, but just the way that we societally associate things with ideas of what it means to be uh, masculine or feminine, soft power is understood to be feminine power. Mm-hmm. And that I think may- maybe that's even an understood, like part of this sort of definitional trickster is that part of the trick is being a masculine person using feminine power. And when we see characters who are portrayed as more feminine, who are wielding feminine power, that, that I think those characters exist, but I totally agree. They're witches, they're seductresses, they're much yeah. more, I think, much more frequently portrayed in a malevolent way yeah. And maybe there's some balance to it too in that we also certainly see um you know masculine characters empowered with a lot of masculine energy portrayed as threats, right? As tyrants. Yeah. So there there's an interesting diamond here we could probably sketch out about yes, these like masculine characters using this this under this uh conceptually female soft power. I wonder if there if if the the female trickster god version would be no it couldn't you couldn't have a trickster god who was using force so maybe that's part of why we haven't conceptualized that many female trickster gods i don't know i it is depressing and also i want to write one and also i want to know if it's possible to write one i think i think it definitely is possible to write one i mean i think i think what's interesting is again this also how how writer like when we approach writing we're bringing our our society with us in some ways the culture our environment it's inescapable and so and some of these concepts even if you don't uh, consciously believe them you've internalized them and i think also something about when female presenting people use soft power mm-hmm. 
that's like, yeah, well, of course, female presenting people use soft power, but it's for manipulation, you know, it's yeah. to get a, it's to get a, um, a male presenting person. It's, you know, it's for petty things. It's not for, it, and it's one of those things where, of course, uh, when, when marginalized people do something or when someone who's not of the dominating culture does something and the dominating culture or the, the oppressing culture takes that and says, it's cool when we do it, but when you do it, dot, dot, dot. And of course, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I do think, like, I think this is like a thesis paper. Yes, <laughs> that's what what's happened here is we've stumbled on a thesis paper. Someone write that. Yeah. If, if you're listening to us and you're in grad school, throw away all of your passions, write this thesis paper for us instead. We need to read it so you can help us untangle this knot we've happened upon. Yes, someone who is very smart, please help us. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think one of the things that again, to try and to try and focus on not just the 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 fascinating analysis of uh gender dynamics in our society, but as a writer it is a strong reminder of, I don't think any, well, I, I think that it many authors would jump in and write a trickster god without thinking explicitly about the gender and sexual dynamics of this, especially if their character is not engaged in a romance, right? Typically that's when you're like, okay, well clearly I have to think about who they're attracted to and all of these kinds of things. But I think it's a really good reminder to uh, to us as writers and and particularly uh, in the ways where we are privileged, right? To remember that just because we don't think it's in the story doesn't mean it's not there, right? You can write a story and be like, I'm not trying to say anything about racial dynamics. And there's no way you're not. <laughs> if if the people in your book have any sort of race, it's going to come through. You're going to be saying something and it's worth thinking about what you want to say or if it's something that you want to play with or subvert, Um because it's so easy for so many of these things to just fly under the radar where it's like, yeah, I had never thought, I don't think any <laughs> any of these authors were like, I'm going to write a man trickster god because only men can be tricksters, right? Right, are, yeah. We're mostly talking about women authors. We're mostly talking about uh, women authors who are fairly committed to, to trying to show strong female characters and, and to, mm -hmm. to have diverse representation in their books. These are not people who intentionally were like, we're going to try and promote this particular understanding of what a trickster god can be. And again, I don't think that the betrayal is necessarily automatically a problem, but it is right. interesting when we look across this slate and we say there's this common thread. Why is it there? I think it's always important to try to remember when you're writing stuff like, okay, what are the assumptions that I'm making here that I'm not looking at? And do I want them there? And maybe you do, but maybe you don't. <laughs> it's worth it's always worth looking at that. Yeah, absolutely. And that was something that I feel like it's something that you you only really maybe notice once you've read a lot in a particular genre or across a across an area. It was something that I hadn't noticed prior to doing a bunch of them all at once. Oh yeah, like I'd I'd read most of these books before and I love a trickster god. Like I think mm -hmm. this is they're always so fun to me and that and that particular brand of yes we've we've got a dude who's being tricksy and who's who's playing with soft power I find that really interesting and compelling and I love those characters even when they're doing some really screwed up stuff but it was interesting to then suddenly be like huh all right 
I, I like this character who comes up repeatedly, but it's interesting to realize these these connections and these threads. Yeah, absolutely. I kind of, I have like one other character that I would love to get your thoughts on and on whether or not we we think this character fits definitionally, definitionally within the bounds that we've created, this idea of a trickster god, and that's Sia from the Inheritance trilogy. Uh, particularly from the first one in the first book um because when i was i was looking through nk jemison's old blogs as one does with their favorite <laughs> authors what do you mean you don't just sit for hours and read your favorite author's blogs from 10 years ago uh what else do you do with your time writing literally nothing <laughs> yes so and something she says is that C is unusual for a trickster and that he's bound. Like all gods of the trilogy, by his nature, uh, he's bound by his nature. So he must be childlike. Really, he wants to be a child, though he knows that he will never really be able to, so long as he has memories of the past few bajillion years, but he wants it anyway. So I thought that was really interesting. Um... I think on a few different levels. I'm not sure if you've read the first book of the Inheritance Trilogy. Mm -mm. So, I'm guessing I'm going to kind of spoil a little bit for you. It's um, all right. It, it, N.K. Jemisin, I feel like there's a lot of things where it's like, I can still, I can know what's coming and it's not going to lessen the emotional blow at all. Uh, so. so true. So true. Uh, so, But something that's interesting about this trilogy is first, some of these other books that we've read, again, the these trickster characters are more on the periphery. Mm -hmm. uh, and you're not really focused as much on their internal lives or what they're experiencing. In the Hundred Thousand Kingdoms, they are one of the main characters. Like, C is one of the main characters. He's not the main character. He's still kind of a side character. But you get a lot more of what's going on with him internally. And like like she says here... He is also a child, but on top of all of that, all of these, the gods in the first book um, that we really get to know are bound by humans and another god. So on top of that, they're, they're kind of forced to be weapons, uh, read, they're essentially kind of like, I guess, enslaved. Um, and have to serve these humans who are kind of the chosen ones of the god who's currently in power. So there, there are a few things you have going on. Like first, um, it's interesting to see a god who's bound by humans and who now kind of has to deal with some of the challenges of mortality that maybe he hadn't really considered before. But second, I don't see Sia... Like, Sia doesn't necessarily play a lot of what I would consider tricks necessarily in the same way. Like I would think of children can be like inherently playful. There's a kind of maybe some lightness there and some tricks there. Is that, does that mean that he's a trickster? The other thing that he does do is this is, this is a huge spoiler. I go for it. I, okay. I, I will be okay. So the, the main character, uh, as it turns out, holds within her the soul of the god who was killed and who was Sia's mother. And Sia was part of the reason why, like, Sia kind of 
with the driver and putting the fallen god's soul into this mortal baby he was like so in a way that's kind of a trick but how it's played like i feel like something that is also essential about trickster gods hmm i'm rethinking this as i'm saying it but something that's also essential about trickster gods is that they almost need to have a level of seeming like they don't care when they care very deeply. Mm-hmm. And Sia kind of tries to do that. I think there are moments where he's kind of light about it, but also like he misses his mom as like a a child. Um, so I think he sees more of that earnestness kind of shine through and more of that desperation internally that you don't see as much with other trickster gods. So I feel like he's kind of an unusual example and I'm not really sure like where to put him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think there's definitely, there's definitely some connections there. It sounds, I mean, it sounds like also that NK Jemisin series is more interested in exploring Sia as a character than like these, these other books that we're talking about. The tricksters are there to complicate the lives of the characters whose interiority we're actually interested in exploring um, rather than being a character whose motives we're really trying to pick apart. But I think that what you're talking about is is a consistent theme, right? Is that all of these trickster gods want to be very blasé and they're just here to have a good time except that they are bent on their goal. <laughs> yes. And, you know, that those goals can vary greatly in terms of their their degree of selfishness, their degree of... Uh, what we would consider moral or immoral behavior. Um, you know, Kiprioth wants a revolution. He wants to overthrow the colonialists. Uh, Coyote wants Nesgani dead. He wants him gone. Uh, Anansi wants his boys to make up and be friends. So <laughs> and and yeah, and, and Sia wants his mom back. And so often this is not... It's approaching, it's approaching not just problems sideways, but approaching what they want sideways. Like, I'm not really, I'm not looking at you. I'm playing hard to get. I'm not really interested, except all of my actions are actually bent towards this singular goal. Yeah. Yeah. Deities of reverse psychology sometimes. (laughs) Um. (laughs) Oh, Lord. Pretend aloofness. Yeah. So I think maybe, I think maybe that's, that's what, makes Sia harder to categorize in some ways. And I think it's actually the only book that I've read um, where you actually, a lot of the interiority of the gods are front and center. And you also have a god who has some of these trickster qualities. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe you could kind of argue that there's some of that with Anansi boys, with, but they're they're kind of like godlings. They're not really, they're not even godlings. They're humans with, some godlike powers. Um, yeah. It seems like they still age, but yeah. And then Nancy boys, the one with all the trickster power is just kind of like, what? I'm just charming and amazing and everything goes right in my life. Wait a second. Everything goes right in my life. Like he doesn't <laughs> even, re- he hasn't even paused to think about it. So like, there's definitely kind of a lack of awareness there going oh, on. Totally. That isn't with the others. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I think those I think those are some really interesting questions. And I think, you know what, I also think it makes sense that trickster gods are a little blurry in their definition. I feel like they would be pissed if we were able to put them in a clear category (laughs) that said thou art a trickster and thou art not. 
Although, wouldn't it be fun to tell the tricksters that they're not just a little bit? I mean, it would be fun until they made it their mission to, like, make you regret it. it. Yeah, that's true. I'll show you. That's exactly how you get Nazganate there. Like, that's 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 probably what happened. <laughs> I don't think they really get into exactly what Nazgani did to piss off Coyote, but it was something. <laughs> it right. Was enough. Yeah. But I also think that you could kind of... Like, the other quality about a trickster is that while they... they are hellbent on tricking everyone else, they can also be tricked because there's often a level of arrogance. And so you see that in Trickster's Queen with the graveyard hag stealing away the person that uh, Kiprioth thought would become the next queen. And he's like, wait a second. You can't, you can't trick a trickster. You can't do this to me. But of course you can. And you can also go to Trickster into positions that aren't as great for them uh and so you know i some some days i wake up and i want to attack and dethrone god i want to go to trickster into doing something that's advantageous to me <laughs> like you think you're the only one who can do this watch me it would probably end terribly but yeah it's just one of those moods it's so good yeah no it is there there there's so much fun to poke fun at because they're so busy poking fun at anyone else. It's always fun to turn the tables on someone whose entire being is structured around turning tables. Yes. Um, yeah, and you, you see that as well with how the characters interact with them often. Like, I really like the, uh, the part where Kiprioth reveals uh, themselves to a dove and... Dove witnesses how Allie talks to Kiprioth, and she's like, wow, awful rude for a follower. But that's the dynamic. Like, same thing with Maggie and Coyote. Coyote goes into it with the expectation that Maggie's also going to kind of be rude with him, question him. Yeah, maybe Coyote, maybe it's harder to tell if he enjoys it or not. I think he kind of enjoys it because he feels like he's still on top. Kiprioth seems to take genuine joy in it. Yeah. I mean, I think they're very, I think that those tricksters, for as much as like there's an interesting, there's some interesting parallels in those stories, are very different. And not least just being their presentation, right? Like, Coyote shows up as a rich, white, dandy settler to yeah. a Navajo girl and to uh, to this whole society. Like, that is saying, yes, I'm a trickster and I'm here to hurt you. That's what my whole deal is, and that's what my purpose is here. Even if, you know, I'm not really invested in hurting for hurting's sake, I'm interested in my own benefit here, and that's why I'm really here. Um, whereas Kiprioth is, it seems to seems to enjoy it for, for just, like, it's games, and it, it does feel a little bit more rooted in that, like, what would be funny? What would be fun? A bit more puckish. Yeah. One thing that... Um, I still sit with with uh, the trickster duology is that I think that a huge part of what makes it make sense is that it makes sense for tricksters to work for revolution because they're all about change. Yes. Yep. So it makes sense that we're jumping in at this point in the story where Kiprioth is like, we're going to have a revolution because the wrong people are in power here. But he's also, by the end of that series... He's now once again returned to his throne as the patron god of the Copper Isles. And 
I don't think tricksters can be kings. I mm. wonder if that is not an inherent, like, that those two things just cannot mesh. I think so much of what is interesting and what makes sense, right, is, yes, the use of soft power. But having a throne, having official authority, it's, it's, it's not an uncommon structure in the Tortolan universe that Tamara Pierce has created. A lot of these gods have patron uh, kingdoms and, and places that they've chosen, which is part of how we justify that thing that you mentioned earlier, that like there is a goddess that shows up in the trickster duology who we've seen in previous series, who's this patron goddess of, of warrior women and, and fighting for all these good things that we want in other books, who then it turns out also helped a bunch of people colonize this other country. That's pretty screwed up, but it makes sense if she was not actually attached as much to just pure ideas of strong women. She's attached to this country and countries are not moral things. I don't know where Kip what Kiprioth does once he takes his throne back. I, I don't have a clear picture of what a trickster is like in power. I don't know if tricksters, yeah, yeah if definitionally that really works. Because it also means responsibility. Mm-hmm. And like tricksters by nature can help and hurt you one moment to the next. Something that I thought was interesting and a line that I kind of pulled out was at one point Allie asks uh, the Balitang children about Kiprioth. And I think it's Dove who responds and says, well, Kiprioth was the patron god of these isles and maybe that's why there was all this fighting and it was easy to take over. Which on the one hand... Maybe when I read it the first time, what I ended up thinking about was how how oppressive cultures can take the reality or the truth of a trickster and twist it. So it's like, oh, yeah, of course there's all this conflict because you had a trickster god. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so to me, that felt more like it could possibly be something that the the oppressor set up to justify to say, like, this is why we're better. At the same time, like, yeah, a trickster as a ruler, I think it would be an interesting an interesting one. I'm not sure what he thinks of as his role, necessarily. Except that he also says that, well, I need power. I need worshipers for power on the other side. So that would mean you would think that he would always have an interest in protecting them. So... Tricksters can be helpful and can be responsible when it serves them. And uh, all of the people who are kind of worshiping them also need to, to recognize that they're going, they're more changeable perhaps. But it's also odd because when you look at mythology, a lot of gods were very changeable. You just couldn't say that to them. You couldn't be <laughs> like, do you see how this contradicts itself? Like, if you said that to a trickster, a trickster would be like, yeah, it contradicts itself. Isn't that great? But if you said that to another god, they would be like, how dare you suggest that I've changed my rules? So maybe it could work. It, maybe it could work. Although, again, that's another thing you don't really see very often. And again, maybe it's also because they, they always have to be changing the balance in some way. Tricksters are much better as disruptors than they are as rulers. I feel like, yeah, we, we've talked a lot about Tricksters, at least again, in a in a narrative sense, playing the role of catalyst, of change, of disruption, of revealing unpleasant truths, uh, and of storytelling, 
And the thing about storytelling is when it comes directly from a seat of power, I usually call that propaganda, not stories that that show us, you know, like the the true and, and sometimes darker or sometimes just hidden things. That's usually not how we conceive of uh, rulers and thrones. Um, at the same time, maybe that would be super interesting, right? A lot of the ways that societally we have figured out as far as how to structure power isn't great. Maybe mm-hmm. maybe a trickster would have a more interesting way of doing that. I wouldn't be opposed to seeing someone explore that in a story. Um, yeah. It was a question I was left with with that series. And I think is also part of the reason why the book ends when Kiprioth takes back right. his throne because there's there's no story in a trickster satisfied. Yeah, yeah. A trickster always has to want to want something. A trickster always has to want to change something. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting another interesting question. Maybe it's maybe it's that if I'm going to imagine it happily, maybe it's that Kiprioth is like, Great, I got you this thing back. You keep worshipping me, maybe play some tricks in my name. I'm going to go cause mischief in the divine realms now. Yes. <laughs> Peace out. Like, maybe it's just that he's not really around as much as some of the other gods. Yeah, I hope Kiprioth just goes on, like, a buddy comedy journey with the thief he hired to steal the the shields of the other gods. That would be fun. Right. Yeah, and maybe that's also, that's also some of the real challenge is not that a trickster will turn is his patrons against each other like maybe uh the oppressive culture would say the real challenge is that a trickster will piss off some of the other gods and bring some ire down upon you that you have to deal with you're like oh great you're my you're my ruler really love having mithros look at me mad because of something you did and the trickster's yep. like what can i say ha 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 it's who I am. Yes, you know you love me. I'll help you as well in some other ways. I love it. So as we're talking about this and as we did all this, the reading and all of this conversation, do you feel like do you feel like anything has sort of changed your mind or expanded your idea about what trickster gods can be in fiction or even just like about what it would be like to write one? Hmm. Yeah, I think I think in some ways NK Jemison's book is the is the one that maybe made me think about it in a new way. Uh writing it I think writing a trickster god is a catalyst and a side character and someone who just keeps messing up the plot uh has a lot of value. Can you have to have a very tight plot, but then writing writing a god any god really as a fully formed character what a challenge. What a fascinating <laughs> challenge. Right? Dot, dot, dot. Um, yeah, I think that's, that really is the one where I feel like it's it's the stories that for me were at the periphery of what I would consider a traditional trickster god. So that's the Inheritance Trilogy that's A Monster Calls that helped me think about trickster gods in a new way. I don't necessarily think that Kiprioth and Coyote made me think about them in a new way. I feel like they're kind of on different ends of a scale that I was already more comfortably familiar with. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, no, I I, I would totally agree with that. I think on, on a much uh, uh, 
maybe smaller scale or, or, or yeah, smaller scale, I feel like there's got to be nothing more intimidating than writing a character who is supposed to be clever and charming to a godlike mm. degree, right? I still feel like anytime I'm like, oh, these two people banter, I suddenly forget every funny thing I've ever said. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't understand how humor works. Yeah. I don't know how to tease. I don't know how to flirt. I'm like, I swear I do this. occasionally it just happens but trying to sit down and write it and I think maybe because it is it's a vulnerable thing right to like put down on paper and be like I think this is funny (laughs) like that that feels very like you're you're exposing uh you know all sorts of things that somebody could look at that and be like that's not funny that's not charming (laughs) you thought that was charming okay weirdo and like those are the voices you gotta quiet and work on but I feel like I, it's often, I get really excited to try and write those characters because they're my favorite characters to read. Mm, right. But then being like, okay, not only is this character clever and charming and, and very smart, but like they are the god of those things. So they better be real clever and charming. I mean, I, I realized even just the way that I was reading through and like there would be there would be comments where I'm like, mm, that feels like it could be tighter. And it's like, I, I was being very critical looking over some of these some of these statements because I'm like well you're the god of being delightful so you better be real delightful <laughs> entertain me yes and that is a very intimate at least for me I feel like that's a very intimidating thing to tackle it's not really an expansion so much as just I think something that kept coming back to as far as like I love these characters. What what is what is what do, what feels to me like one of the biggest barriers into putting this kind of character or concept into my own writing? Mm-hmm. That feels like that feels like a mountain to climb. Yeah, absolutely. I think also on that on that note, thinking about how and when to withhold information in a way that is enticing. Mm, mm-hmm. Because, of course, you have to do that naturally when you write stories anyway. But the reader is much more conscious of the fact that you are withholding information when reading a trickster story. So you also have to think a lot more carefully about it and be very conscious about it. And, of course, do it in a clever, entertaining way. Ooh. So much. That's so much. Writing's already hard, and you want me to be I... delightful? I know. Excuse me? Ugh. What do I look like, a god? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Something else that, that I kind of surprised me when I was reading our two main stories was the place of, of symbols, and especially in Trail of Lightning, how those symbols are used uh, to foreshadow and not just symbols but um, animals or even dreams there's some there's also some dreams in uh, the trickster duology but in trail of lightning there's a scene where a coyote crosses their path and they're like this is bad luck just after a coyote shows up and there's also something that kind of surprised me is Maggie Maggie's like okay so in my life right now, I'm dealing kind of with the abandonment from Nezgani, and I'm also dealing with Coyote, this trickster god. And weirdly, I keep having dreams with, like, a witch wearing a coyote head. Like, what could that mean? I was like, come on. Come on, Maggie. Come on. I believe in you. But 
I should be more gentle on her because she she was traumatized. She had a lot going on in her head at the moment. And a very cute silver-tongued boyfriend who was oh specifically trying to distract her. And we're going to have yes. you and I are going to have a whole separate uh recording session where we just talk about the delightful trickster boyfriends in these trickster yes. god books because we need an episode for Kai. We need an episode for Nawat. Uh I'll 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 never get over either of them either. It is it is the greatest tragedy of this that we read these books for talking about the gods who are also great. But <laughs> yeah, there's so much there's so much else to talk about in these books. But so much. yeah. And of course, like in in um the trickster duology, you have Nawat, you have the crows. And again, part of it is that uh, in the trickster duology, Kiprioth is aligned with the main characters, so you, the way you perceive the crows is, is very friendly, very smart. You will ha- you have like a fun, a fun dream where Allie, this I can't believe I described it as fun, if, considering what I'm about to say. Allie goes and watches the king die, but Kiprioth just kind of nips inside the king and makes the king say things, and then nips back out, and he's like, "Oh, I love a good death prophecy. So fun." Deathbed prophecies, spice of life. You know, there's there's a lot more camp in the trickster duology, and the way the the kind of extras, the symbols, the dreams, the animals that are associated with them, the way they're used is just. Every time something came up in Trail of Lightning, my primary feeling was like dread. I was like, this is not going to work out well for them. And with tricksters duology, there's definitely some darker moments, and again, there are definitely some more questionable moments. But there's a lot more camp and fun as well in there. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. And also also maybe an interesting layer that I, I doubt was intentional. I think that so much of that that portrayal of Kiprioth as opposed to other trickster gods, right, has to do with just the tone for this, you know, fun YA novel about a spy throwing a revolution for the good guys. But I think a huge part of the the reason that those things feel different and maybe a key part of why they've been written in a way that feels different is that a revolution is serious business. And Allie cares about it because she's made friends here. But like the entire first book, her whole thing is, I'm out of here at the end of the summer. Right. And even after that, she's like, well, I'm out of here once this is over. Because... She is a white person yep. from the colonizing country. And like, yeah, she's here and she's interested in helping the revolution. But her well-being is very rarely actually tied to the success of this endeavor. Like there's a couple moments where suddenly you're like, oh, oh, she's in danger. She, she might be invested in this for her own life and not just because she's like, this is fun. I get to really do my spy shit and like also do good stuff at the same time. Whereas like... Maggie has no privilege of distance from what is going on in her life. Mm -hmm. Like, the trickster messing with her is a life and death situation for her, for people she cares about. This isn't, this isn't like a fun, you know. I think Allie at one point in the trickster duology, like, basically, basically tries to claim to the other gods that, like, this is basically an internship. Yeah. Yeah. there There is a vibe to that, which... Granted, it's probably the only way you can try and actually write a revolution and have it feel light mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. But also, again, as, as, as you've got a, a white woman writer writing a story about white people colonizing a brown country, a brown fictional country, there's some, there's some analysis there. There's some, there's some 
lacking of nuance. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that was something that I definitely noticed more as an adult. And also, of course, how Allie approaches it is like, she takes it because she's like, I just want to be a spy. Uh, getting involved in this country revolution like seems like a great uh, great way to do that. And there are like some brief moments where, you know, Tortal isn't the country that colonized the Copper Isles. However, there's, again, there's like one brief moment where she's like, maybe I should also think about the fact that Tortal has also uh, not treated other people of color very well. Anyway, la 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 la. Like, it's just, it's very, it's just one moment and it's gone. I think there could have been a way to do that with with Kiprioth choosing someone who is actually from that country, who wasn't a 16-year-old who just wanted to be a spy but had never actually done real spy work. Like, you know, she'd been trained. There's probably, there's definitely a way to do that. And also, I think, still keep it lighter. I think there are a lot of realities of revolution that are just very much glossed over. Um, there's, there's, some, there's some heavier parts when thinking about, well, how are we, how is this country, once we, once we free ourselves, how are we going to rule peacefully, realizing that there are still these dynamics that people are healing from? What does that look like? There are some very hard questions that are being talked about there and that's why i think in the second book it does get a little bit heavier but still it's and there are very there are very also very few moments where Allie herself is is like oh wait oh yeah i'm like killing people i'm killed there are people who are dying and again that was another jarring moment with kiprioth where kiprioth was like yeah there are people who are dying and i orchestrated some of it catch up kiddo like this is the reality i'm trying, trying to get my throne back I needed to get those four toddlers murdered or it would have taken you an extra year and a half to put my queen on a throne. Right, yeah. right. I do, just as a, a fun writer aside, uh, I, I went to a book signing with Tamara Pierce and I someone was asking her about how she came up with characters and she was talking about how uh, typically what she likes to do is she'll base them on real people, either people that she knows or even just like celebrities and sort of has like a template in her mind that she draws from. She was like, you have to be very careful, though, about telling people when you do this. She was like, because I told my friend Bruce when I started writing Trickster's Choice that I that that Kiprioth was sort of was based on him. And, and that all was very great. But Bruce is a very good person and when he read that scene he called me up and he just said Tammy (laughs) (laughs) so you know casual writer dip if you're gonna write characters based on other people be thoughtful about who you tell yes (laughs) because you might decide to do something with that character that that person doesn't like so much oh my god yeesh any uh any other thoughts or questions that you're kind of sitting with Gosh, I'm sure there are so many, but I think we've covered a lot of ground. We have indeed. And we didn't even, we, we pretty much just limited it to, to gods. Like there are also so many trickster characters that have some of these similar elements, but aren't exactly identical. 
Yeah, we're going to have to be very careful if we ever try to talk about that because there's a very, very thin line for me between having a nice, responsible discussion and being, you know, thirsty on Maine <laughs> with every Trickster character that's ever existed. I know, I know. Uh... I tell on myself every time I talk about these sorts of characters. I don't don't have any good justification for you. I'm just into it. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Well, then I think that's it for us today. Thank you again, everyone, for wandering with us today here on Working Title. You can find us on Twitter at WorkTitlePod, where we'll also be talking about whatever comes next. Uh, again, that is at WorkTitlePod. All right. Good luck and keep going, y'all. Thanks so much.